I want to talk about the series, and this series is a very special to us, something we've been planning for a while, called This is Church 2. And it all centers around what church, what is the church, what are we doing here? That we live in a time, and I, I, you guys know this, we live in a time in the culture we currently live in in the West that undervalues the church. And they undervalue what they think the church is and how the church functions and what its actual purpose and goals are. And part of that, listen, part of that is because the church did and has over the years forfeited its influence, all right? Because we became fixed on morality rather than spiritual life. The church, we became more known for what we were against than we became known for what we were for. And the other part and the other reason I think is really the dependence on the institution of the church rather than the people who are the church. And so that's why we wanted to do this series. That's why I believe it's important to talk about it. I will tell you this, and I'll make this argument any day of the week, that despite its many issues, the local church is still the most important institution in our country and in the world. Okay? You're going to say, yeah, but Matt, what about government? Yeah, more important. Okay? And I'll make that argument all day long. Okay, why the church, God's church, the church that Jesus talked about, is the most important institution in the world and in our country, despite its many issues. Why are there issues in the church? There's issues in the church because people are a part of the church, right? The church is broken because people are broken. The church lacks grace sometimes because the people of God lack grace sometimes. Everybody with me? As long as people are a part of the church, which is how Jesus defined it, it's always going to have that reflection. It doesn't change the fact that it's still the most important in the world. Matter of fact, I love this quote. It says, the local church is the hope of the world. I've heard many pastors share this in the years, and I love that quote because it is true. We, okay, we're absolute hope dealers. Everybody with me? We are absolute hope dealers. Like, we got the goods. We got the real stuff. Okay? I don't know how drug dealers talk, but that's what the movies say. So that's what we do, right? And we are the only institution, we're the only people who can deliver the absolute hope of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. Sometimes, because of the way the world views the church, because of past history and issues you've had with the church, we forget what the church is, and we forget sometimes the full picture of what it means to be the church. So the question today is, what is church? And the, really the best way to do it is just go back to how Jesus defined it. Okay, Jesus is the one who defined what the church is. Okay, not the things it should be doing. Define what the church is. And believe it or not, Jesus wasn't actually setting out to define it. I don't believe he was answering a different question at the time. When Jesus defined what the church is, he was, setting, he was actually answering or asking some questions and, and hearing answers to a question. And he was asking the disciples, who do people say that I am? And they were all, you know, oh, they say you're a prophet. They say you're a good teacher. And then Peter says this, okay? He answered because Jesus said, well, who do you guys say that I am? <clears throat> right? Who do you say that I am? You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon Peter, or Simon of John, 
Because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. Basically saying, you're not that smart, Peter. God revealed this to you. Bless you, because God has revealed this to you. And he goes on to say, you did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you, Peter, and upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Everybody say, my church. And all the powers of hell will not overcome it. Will not overcome it. See, here's Jesus talking about, well, who do you say that I am? He's, he's engaging a different question. And from here he launches how he's going to define the church. What his church is going to be defined as. My church, he says. Now, the problem is, the problem is that at some point during translations, people got lost in the word it. They got lost in the word it because he says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. Catholic church thought that was Peter. And they went on to say, but the gates of hell are not going to overcome it. And, and, and what happened was the word that Jesus used, which is ecclesia, actually became, they used a German word, which was actually better translated to an it, to a house of worship, to a house of people. And they started using the word church to define the it, and yet that's not what Jesus was saying. Okay, so don't miss. These are the words in terms of the tone. Peter on this rock, which is the declaration that you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I'm going to build my, what's the word? I'm going to build my people, my ecclesia. And the powers of hell will not overcome, what's the word? Them. Now you can say them, you can say it, as long as you have the right tone of what that them and that it is referring to. The, the root of Jesus' word, ecclesia, as he used it, was basically my gathering. It was people-oriented. But it had two ultimate definitions because he talked about, it means basically our people gathering, but it also means the called out or the sent out or the on mission. I've used that word before, on mission. That's, it's got this sort of dual sort of definition now, I know that, you know, we, the English language, we don't like that, right? We like words that mean their own thing. But this word really does mean a few different things. Primarily, in terms of people, a gathering. And just as much as that, talks about being called out, being on mission. So I'm just going to use two words to make it simple, because you know me, I like to make things simple. Ecclesia, where people called out to gather and go. Equally important, equally a part of the definition, equally a part of how Jesus defined what he said the church was going to be. This thing, this gathering, this people, this called out people, these people on mission, and the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. Ecclesia. Now, I'm going to focus on both words, gather and go. I'm not going to spend as much time on gather because gather is something that you're way, way more familiar with. But I am going to talk about the fact that we do find ourselves in a really unique period of time. Okay, how many of you couldn't just, you can't wait for some precedented times in our society, right? We want, we want some precedented times. But none of us, okay, none of us, I mean, I'm telling you, none of us would have ever, ever guessed and assumed or predicted that in 2020, on March 14th, Saturday, March 14th, I know where I was when I got the news that our state, North Carolina, was going to tell us 
you guys can't gather anymore. You guys can't gather. I mean, that was a, that was a huge deal, right? Now, it wasn't exclusive, and I told people this early on. I said, look, it's not, you know, especially in our state, and I know there's lingering stuff happening in other states, but with us, it wasn't, it wasn't exclusive. It wasn't persecution to the religious people. It was nobody was gathering. There were no gatherings of any kind, anywhere, of any sort, okay? So it wasn't exclusive to churches. So it wasn't, it wasn't considered, what I believe, persecution. And yet people began to really struggle. I know many of you did. I got your emails. I, I had conversations with you. You struggled, right? Because what is church if we cannot gather? Like, what is church if we don't do this? And it was a very important question to ask. And honestly, we had 12 weeks. We had 12 weeks where we were online and we were calling and emailing and texting and kind of working through how do we continue to gather when we cannot gather the way we usually gather. For some of you, it's been 27 weeks. For some of you even watching online right now, it's over half your year that you have not gathered in the way that you traditionally think of the church gathering. Gathering is something God's people do. And I'm going to make this case very quickly, very brief. But it's because of the way Jesus designed it. There's really nothing you can do about it, okay? And, and, and you can be a proponent for certain things, and you can be here, you know, you know, plant your flag about persecution and other things. But I, want to, I just want to tell you, the gathering of God's people is never going to go away. Hear me say it. When Jesus said, this is what it means, and this is what it looks like, and the gates of hell will not overcome it, it means it's not going away. Everybody with me? Yeah, it's not going away. It's part of that absolute hope that we have. Here's the author in Hebrews. The author of Hebrews said it this way. He said, uh, let us hold tightly without wavering to, what's the word? The hope we affirm, right? We're hope dealers. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. He says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to the acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together. As some people do. This isn't a unique thing to our history. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. That's 2,000 years ago. Everybody with me? Yep. I'm just going to say it one more time for all the, all the people who think Jesus is coming back tomorrow. Everybody with me? Especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. That was 2,000 years ago. Understand the context of the writer of Hebrews said it can be any time and it's drawing near every day. Can we all say amen? amen? It's true. I don't know when. So let's not neglect the meeting together and encouraging one another and motivating one another and holding firmly to the hope that we have. Because we have the time today to do so. <clears throat> all across the community today, even during this pandemic, Churches are striving to find safe ways to gather. Some are gathering in small groups and homes right now watching online. Some are in other countries doing this. Some are gathered in parking lots. Some are gathered in tents outside. Some gather under the trees in our, park, in our, in our property. Some have been able, like us, to make big changes, to invest, to alter how we do things. 
in order to try to safely gather. Why? Simple reason. When Jesus created the church, it was spiritually designed to be an interdependent gathering of lives filled with discipleship, prayer, worship, and growing in your knowledge and faith. That's what the church is. It was spiritually designed that way. But I don't want you to lose this word, and this is something I've said oftentimes in terms about church, that we're independently responsible for living a fulfilled, interdependent life. Because that's how the church was designed to be. Why is it? No, go back to the persecution thing. Why is it across the world where churches cannot meet, cannot gather, it is illegal, it is, it is risking their lives to do so, why do they still find ways to gather? You all with me? Because that's how Jesus designed it. It was spiritually designed when he knew what faith was going to look like in our time for the next 2,000 years. That our lives were going to be part of our individual responsibility of how we have a relationship with Jesus. But the church, the body of Christ, was going to be this unique, interdependent locking of community. To live, live, to live a fulfilled life, it was going to look like this. Paul would use the description several times, well, it's just like a human body, right? It's just like a human body. Don't take the independence too far. The hand can't say to the eye, I don't need you, right? So don't take the, inter- the independence part of it too far. But understand that the goal was it was supposed to be this interdependent community. That's how he designed it. So it's up to you. Okay, and understand this. It's up to you to continue to engage and connect and gather however you can. Listen, I know there's people online right now watching later. You, you still haven't left your home. You haven't re-entered in, into several areas of society that people are already re-entering into. And I understand there's feelings about that and there's concerns about that. I just want you to hear from me. I don't care. But it's up to you to gather It's up to you to connect. You only have to work harder to stay connected, to stay engaged with the people of God. Because if you don't, you're going to drift away. You never drift towards Christ. You always drift away. You never drift towards interdependency. Not in our culture. You always drift away. So you have to be more intentional about it. I understand, if you, again, there's people who aren't comfortable coming back into this kind of gathering. That's fine. How are you gathering? How are you staying connected? Guys, there's so many people that are not. And they're missing something. And they're missing something. And they've maybe expressed it to you that they're missing something. And it's not because of the fear of a pandemic. It's not because of the fear of health and safety. Guys, they're missing something because they are no longer connected to the body of Christ, right? We've had people come back, engage their kids in Kid Street. They've come back to worship. And all of them have told us, you know, I, d- I didn't know what I was missing. I couldn't put my finger on it. 
I didn't know what it, I, I just didn't realize it was going to feel this way. Guys, before this pandemic, let's be honest, we all sort of took advantage of the gathering, okay? We all sort of took advantage of the gathering of the church and God's people. It would sort of be there when I needed it. It would sort of be there in the way that I'm used to it when I needed it. And that's not true anymore. We have to work. It will not matter whether we have another wave or we're not meeting in here, guys. We will continue to gather as a church. Gathering is a part of what the church is. That's what church is. It will never change. It might just change how that happens. And again, we're going to do our best as a church to make those things available to you, try to give you ways to stay connected, to stay gathered, to stay engaged, but you are individually responsible. It will never be the church's fault that you drifted away. It's yours. You're the one that's going to be held accountable to it. The ecclesia means people called to gather and go. Both you cannot focus on one versus the other. And that really has been, I know, I know for many, many churches, the gathering is always the thing that people focus on. It's the primary thing, right? Because getting people together into our room with our stuff and our way we do things and our programs and our, you know, I'm saying our, this is not journey, but, you know, our thing and, you know, meeting the way we want to meet and doing the things like we like to do. That's always been the church's pri at least from what people see, the primary motivation. And sadly, that sometimes is their motivation. But the go is just as important. And that's one of the things I appreciate about the question that was raised during the pandemic. What is church? What, if church? what is church if we can't gather like we used to do? And many people said, it's okay. We can still be the church. We can still do what he's called us to do. We can still live it out of our lives, which is true because that is church too. It's part of the definition. It's part of the meaning. The people called out to gather and go. Now, I'll really quickly give you our go strategy. You've heard this before if you've been a part of Journey. Our go strategy is to share and serve. Say those two words, share, serve. One more time. Yeah, it's very simple. We tried to keep it simple for reasons because we're not all good at remembering things. It's to share and serve. If you're a partner of our church, if you ever have a question about what is, what is this I'm supposed to be doing? I'm a part of a journey. What am, I, what am I supposed to be doing? You can always go back to those two words, share and serve. What, do I, what am I supposed to be doing? Yeah, I'm supposed to share my faith. I'm supposed to share my story of grace with someone else. I'm supposed to serve other people in love. That's what I'm called to do. Strategy is really simple. It's hard to live out, but it's really simple to remember. Share and serve. Here's some of the scriptural guidelines we use. This is part of our vision as a church. It means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person, right? The old life is gone. A new life has begun. We are the transformed people. All of this is a gift from God, the absolute hope, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has now given us the task of reconciling people back to him. That's why we share. Keep going. 1 Peter 3 says, You must worship Christ as Lord of your life. If someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to share the absolute hope of Jesus with people in your life. Serving, we know this. I'll just re reminders. God has given us each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well. 
to serve one another. First John says, we, we just went through this in our last series. Dear children, let, do not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. That's our go strategy as a church. That's it. Share and serve. Now understand, just because we keep things simple as a church does not mean there's not an incredible amount of intentionality and clarity behind it, okay? Real quick, for most of you that don't know, and I'll remind you, we have four core ambitions as a church, to partner, to grow, to serve, and to lead, okay? We have four core ambitions, four things that mark you as a disciple of Christ, four core ambitions. Understand, two of those are gather and two of those are go, when you partner with the church and you give and you connect and you serve and you volunteer and you're part of a group, you are partnering with a church. That is part of the gathering of rows and circles that we do as a church. When you are growing in your faith, in all the ways that we provide for you to grow in your faith, that's part of the gathering side of what you are to do. The one anothering of one another. Serving one another. Growing with one another. Uh, encouraging one another. Lifting one another up. Carrying one another's burdens. That's how you grow. And then serving and leading. Serving those with the gifts that God's given you and leading others to hope, which is sharing your faith in Jesus. Okay, we keep it simple for a reason. Because you don't remember it anyway, right? You struggle, and that's fine. You got plenty of time to work on it. But we keep it simple, and we want to make it clear. That's what gather and go is. That's what the definition of the church is. That's what the marks of a disciple looks like in your life. To gather and go, to partner, grow, serve, and lead. It doesn't always require these things to be, you know, church organized, church affiliated, you know, controlled by. Now, I'll just say that's one probably one difference about our church. We don't, require, we don't feel the need to reinvent the wheel. We'll partner with people that are already doing things. We love when things are individually inspired. We love when people serve and, and share out of their own individual efforts. We'll celebrate that with you as a church. Sometimes we do join arms. Sometimes we do connect together to have a larger impact, a greater impact on a focused target. Sometimes we do that as a church. And there's benefits to that. We have people that give to the Kogoris Project all year long. And yet we always do this back-to-school project because it's part of a joining of our arms together to make a larger impact, a shot in the arm, if you will, to the work that's happening in Kenya right now. And we do that sometimes as a church. We've been around, we've done the Share Hope Project, we've done other projects back in the day that do something now, is the, the things through Hope Lake Norman. Those are organized things for us to just sort of help. And believe it or not, we did the Read Your Bible series. I was gone a couple weeks ago. And I was, I was just, just to give an example, out of one of my just readings, God gave me an illustration for this today, just in me reading on my own. I went back and was reading some Old Testament books, and I was reminded of the story of Nehemiah, Nehemiah who built, you know, came back to the, to the city to help rebuild the wall. And I thought about this really cool example of how sometimes as a church we do, we do join arms, we do, we do make it a church-wide thing for our go projects, for our share and serve. Let me just give you this quick example. 
In Nehemiah 3, this is after he's returned, this is after he's done the layout. Again, if you don't know the story, I'd encourage you to go back and read it on your own. He's surveyed, he's given the challenge to the people. Let's rebuild the wall. It's, it was the primary foundational thing that needed to happen before God's people could, could see some of the things that God wanted for his people in their city again, in their nation. So here's what happened. The beginning of, of chapter 3, it says Eliashib, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild at the sheep gate. And they dedicated it and set up its doors and building the wall as far as the Tower of the Hundred goes on to say, which they dedicated there in the tower of Hanel, and people from the town of Jericho worked next to them, and beyond them was Zakur, the son of Emiri. Goes on to, goes, I'm not going to read all of it, but it goes on to talk about some of the foundational things they did. The, the, the high priests and some of the priests, you know, put up trusses and laid out markers and tried to do some of the bigger projects. They tried to help give that, that part of it, but don't discount, when you read through chapter three, don't discount of all the people that were involved. In chapter 3 and 4, doing the work of rebuilding the wall. And there's something you'll see, which I think is really, really cool. Again, this is what jumped out at me, just in my reading. Continue, I'll jump through a few verses. Next, Jedediah, son of uh, Harumaph. I don't know. Harumaph. We're going to have fun with words here, all right? Harumaph repaired the wall across from his own house. And next to him was Hattush, the son of Hashabina. I don't know. Keep going. Merimoth, son of Uriah, and the grandson of Hakuz, rebuilt another section of the wall, extending from the door of Eliashib's, right? His house at the end of the house. Keep going down to verse 23. After them, Benjamin and Hasub repaired the section across from their house. And Azariah, son of Messiah, Masai, and the grandson of Ananiah, repaired the section across from his house. And while Meshulam, Son of Barakai, you just say it with power, you know, like, even if you don't know what it is, right? Barakai, he rebuilt the wall across from where he lived. Now, again, after you have fun with words, you don't know how to read, it's fine. You start to see a little bit of a trend. That there was big projects, and there was certain things that some of the leaders came to do, but everyone had their part. Everyone had something to do. Everyone started in front of their house. Everybody with me? Everyone started in front of their house before they went to help someone else. You get this example after example after example, which is beautiful. And, and, and in that, in everyone doing their part and everyone helping once they did their part to help someone else with their part, you go to read in chapter 6 that on October 2nd, the wall was finished. 52 days after they began. It was an astounding, miraculous feat in less than two months to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. It was, I mean, guys, we'd be hard-pressed with our modern-day technology and machinery to do any better than what they did by simply doing the work in front of their home, everyone's pitching in, everyone having a part, and the leaders setting the course, helping them, laying some structure and some foundation for them. I love that example. I felt like God just gave that to me because it is a desire for us as a church 
every once in a while to come across opportunities to put arms and arms together, to everybody have their own individual part to play, and to make a greater, bigger impact together than we could do individually. And so this is what we, this is why we did Serve Day. This is why this day that's happening next Sunday exists. Now, believe it or not, last year we said, hey, wouldn't it be unique to take a Sunday off? Wouldn't it be amazing, right? Wouldn't that be so unprecedented? <laughs> to not meet on a Sunday, you know? And instead of the gather part, focus our energies on the go part. Wouldn't that be amazing? So we had this plan and we stuck with it because we really do value what we're going to do next weekend, which is take these partners of ours. These, we have several local partners and people that we've connected with and we brought on an intern this year that solely focused on this project, Karina Gentry. She's done a great job focusing on opportunities for you and me to take our individual responsibility and to come together as a church and accomplish some amazing things. And we've talked about this over the last few weeks. I'll briefly mention it again. We have opportunities outside. That's not for you guys. This is for those online. Outside where you can serve. Okay? Not indoors. Out in yards, outside in the open. The care center up in, in Cornelius. Phenomenal ministry. Another church bought the home and the property and is using it as an anchor to serve that community. It's phenomenal. The Hope House, which is our neighbors, our youth and families are going to go serve there. Bags of Hope, where we, we've been partners with them for years, over at their warehouse outside and in through the warehouse, we're going to work with them to organize some of the massive food drive we had just a couple weeks ago in our community. Then we have opportunities here in the church. We're going to be doing a lot of packing, sorting, and organizing for Hope Vibes, for um, Heal Charlotte, for Caterpillar Ministries. We're going to be doing some things in here, through here, the small auditorium. We're going to space everybody out as best we can, give opportunities with masks and gloves for those who need that to, to work through the organization. We're going to pack all these things up and deliver them to these projects, to these, to these places, guys, that they're already doing an incredible job. We just want to help. We just want to help. We're not asking you to bring anything other than you. We had a gift provided to us as a church. We're using those funds to serve our community. That's what we, we told them that's how we would use that gift, to serve our community. And so we're providing everything for you. Now, there are some, and you've already registered, who don't feel comfortable with either option. We created an option for you called the Blessing Bags. We're going to deliver all the material to your home, to your home, so you and your family can put together these Blessing Bags and deliver them to your neighbors to just share absolute hope with them and to give them something special. That's it. And you don't have to do anything. You don't have to do, you do that all at your own pace. If you don't feel comfortable delivering them, I'll come and deliver them for you. How about that? There is a space and a spot and an opportunity for everyone. We work very hard to create options for everyone to be able to gather. And every once in a while, we come together and say, here's great opportunities for us to go, to serve, to share the absolute hope of Jesus with people. Because that's what the church is. What is the church? That's who we are. 
We've been called out to do this. That's, that's, it will never be any different. Strategies change. Church philosophies change. How we do certain things will always change. As a church, we're meeting with our staff next month, praying through and working through. How does journey change to meet the current challenges, to meet where we're going to be going as a society? Things change. They just do. These two things will never change because that's what the church is. Now listen, don't settle for watching online, maybe showing up today, and the gathering side of your faith, because that's not what church is only. The go aspect, the serve aspect, the hands and feet of Jesus aspect is church too. It's not, a, it's not outreach, it's church. It's what it means. It's what Jesus said it means. I'm going to close with this verse. This is Paul again challenging the church. The them he's talking to is talking to those who are rich. He's not talking about specifically money. He's talking about blessed. Those who have, as we've talked about as our church, blessed means enough and plenty, right? Enough because we're content with where God has placed us. Plenty because he always gives us enough to share. He says, those who are blessed, tell them to use their money to do good, right? There is a work to done, to get done. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so they may experience true life. Now, when I was a kid, and I grew up in the Baptist church, um, I don't know if any of you guys are like this, um, they talked a lot about crowns. How many of you remember as you were a kid hearing about that? Crowns? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They talked a lot about crowns. And then if you did certain things, you got crowns in heaven. Okay? You got crowns in heaven. If you did this, if you did that, you got extra crowns. And I'll be honest, I, you know, I'm a little greedy as a person, okay? And so I remember kind of having this picture of, well, I wonder how big my crown pile is. I wonder how big my crown pile is compared to his crown pile, compared to their crown pile, right? That's, again, I don't believe that was the intention of that heart. I believe their hearts are always in the right place, even when we take it the wrong way. But guys, Paul is saying that to do this work, to do what he's called us to do, isn't so much about crowns in heaven. I believe that's true to the way in which it was described, he said it's a foundation right now for your future to live the full experience of life with God. That the gathering and the going is for you. It's what you get to do in terms of laying down your foundation, your future, to fully experience all that God wants you to experience. Guys, I'm so thankful you're here. I'm thankful for those who are online. I'm thankful for those in the last 27 weeks who have honest to goodness made every effort you can to continue to stay engaged, to stay connected, and to gather with your local church. Thank you so much for doing that. We have the opportunity next week. No church, no gathering next week. Why? Because this is church too. We're just going to go. 
We're just going to serve. We're just going to be the hands and feet of Jesus. It's 12 o'clock. Everybody got an email sent to you just right now, okay? Like literally, I couldn't have timed that any better if I'd planned it. Right now, you've got an email to register for what you want to do next week. If you haven't already done so, please do it right now. Well, not right now. I'm going to pray, but do it right after that. Let's pray. Father God, I'm so thankful, Jesus, the way you define the church. And I just confess and God convict our hearts where maybe we have altered in our minds what the church is and what the church means. How we've sometimes made it so complex. We've made it so confusing that people have had bad experiences. People have struggled. And God, yet with simplicity of how you defined it spiritually to gather and to, and to do those one another's for one another and to one another and discipleship and worship and prayer and growing in our knowledge and faith. God, thank you for that. Thank you also for the opportunity to be your hands and feet, to go, to serve and to share. God, it's, we just want to be the church we just want to be who you've called us to be. We want to do it in such a way that gives us the full experience with you of a life lived out where it's pleasing to you. Where God, for us right now, we get to experience more than we could ask or imagine. Thank you so much for Journey and the community that supports this church. God, thank you so much for the, in advance for what you're going to do in the midst of our church and in our gatherings next week as we go, as we serve, as we do our very, very best to be the church in this way. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.